Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Someone texted in. Sounds like Susie's coming with a chip on her shoulder. Oh, And might well, dance the salsa. Well done. I know. Wild One asked, can't we all get along? No, that wouldn't make for fun radio. We have to make fun of each I mean, other. With you guys, it's, it's all in good fun with Susie, but she and I generally hate each other. Oh, good to know. Well, you know, okay. we worked a while together in the newsroom, and uh, just sometimes uh, you just, you just got to accept the fact that you don't like each other and you move on. And that's okay. That's okay. I know that's tongue-in-cheek, but that's what I tell my mm-hmm. kids. Not everybody's going to like you. Get over it. What they right. think about you is none Not of your problem. business. Not my problem. None of your business. And also, Dave, um, this text is for you from the texters. Does Dave work less than Vanita? <laughs> Does Vanita <laughs> wow. have a lot of, com- wow. of, of time off? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Maybe it feels like she does. Uh, I, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. Yeah, I use all my vacation days, all my personal Amen, days, brother. as many as I can. Yep. Amen. And that is absolutely okay. So, yeah, we've been talking about potlucks, what people are bringing. And I just want to maybe wrap up this conversation with uh, this text. Uh, guys, we used to have a potluck at our work until a girl set down a crock pot and cockroaches oh God. ran out. And everyone should bring something to share because that it's would not be fair the, to the people. That, that would be the last potluck I'd ever go to. Yeah. But we had a cockroach incident in the green room. I'll never live this down. Right. And, and I, I don't think you can ever recover from this, Adam, because <laughs> there was a – I mean it was giant. It was a couple yes. inches long. It was a big cockroach. Big cockroach. Two-pounder. And Adam was literally like standing on the chair when I walked into the green room. Okay. And he turned around. He's like, oh, my God, there's a cockroach. I'm like, oh, and okay, you where? didn't even blink an eye. Yeah, I didn't blink because I have lived in New York City and they are, you know, they, they become friends after a while. You get, you get to know them. Thing. You get to know them. <laughs> uh, they're pets. There is no getting rid of them. But uh, so that was sort of a, a wrap up of all of the conversations that we've been having on this show. Because in a, of just a few minutes, uh, Blois Olson is going to be joining us. He's been super busy. Uh, yesterday is like his Super Bowl, yeah. you know, any election day. So we're going to talk about reaction to some of the races. In fact, Susie was saying, or, or maybe it was Dave saying that the uh, Duluth. Yes. Race, the Duluth mayoral It doesn't race affect was, me at all, but I'm wondering what happened there. Because I thought, happened? at least from afar, mm-hmm. uh, Emily Larson seemed like a candidate or a, a mayor that was well-liked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And apparently not. Well, not enough. Not enough. Apparently not enough. So I am curious to know how her opponent not only won, but what kind of race he ran, because I think that will be telling. If you can flip an incumbent, I think there are lessons to be learned there, hopefully positive ones. So uh, Blois is up on all of that. So we are going to hear from that. And I asked Susie Jones about Susie Jones is a fellow St. Louis Parker. She lives in St. Louis Park about uh, Nadia, our new mayor. And she says she's met her and um and and I and this is I would tell you guys stuff. We don't keep a lot of things from you. Yep. I said I hope she hasn't experienced any hate because she is a a Somali woman, and she said she asked her that question because she wears a hijab, and she said, "Have you experienced negativity?" And she said, "People are more concerned about my age than my hijab." 
And I thought, well, good for us, St. Louis Park. I'm glad that yeah. they, you know, didn't judge her immediately based on outward appearance. Uh, being concerned about age is a legit. Sure it is. Tw- 25 years old. I mean, she's a child. Or she's 27. 27. She's 27. I'm sorry. Um, so she is young. Um, but who knows? There are many young people that are excellent leaders that have fresh takes. So well, that's um, the point, isn't it? To get a fresh take. Fresh take. That's right. And and good for people for not judging. I'm, I'm sure she has experienced some negativity, but uh, yes. all politicians do. She was on, this, she was on the morning show With today, video. and a couple mm-hmm. of the texts we got were just Awful. and just mm-hmm. blatantly racist. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, just be a better person. Mm-hmm. A, you don't live in St. Louis Park, so what do right. you care? Mm-hmm. B, I mean, my God. You probably know nothing about this young woman. No. So stop with the judgments. Either do some research, talk to her, reach out, but stop with the blatant judgments. And yeah. and we can't you know, put all people in one bucket as to what they believe because everybody's an individual. And if there's fair criticisms over policy, over things she's done, mm-hmm. fine. That's fair. But if a mm-hmm. uh, 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 criticism because she's a Somalian mm-hmm. is or not, a just refugee. simply – is not, not okay. fair. which, by the way, I think the age comment. I, I think that is a fair mm-hmm. question to ask. Mm-hmm. That you know, uh, there's good and bad with that. Yes, you get a fresh new perspective from of somebody in their twenties, but well, also with age think, comes wisdom. Th- think back to your twenties, like you know, you you learn a lot from twenty five to thirty five. So I think the age is actually a fair criticism or fair question to ask. All right, let's take a break. We'll get Blois on the line. We'll talk about some of these races that we. I mean, but you know. Results are still coming in. There are still races that haven't been called. So we'll get a very latest update on uh, the election, on Election Day with Blois Olson next. Election results are still coming in. Blois Olson is joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Have you slept? Have you have you slept at all? Yes, but I always have time for two icons on radio. <laughs> on who, who, who would those be, those people be? I don't know. Uh Jason and Chad. Yeah, yeah, figured. Hey, let's start. Can we talk about this Duluth race? Because uh, Susie Jones was just in here, and we were talking uh, about the incumbent uh, being ousted by, um, you know, some uh, a challenger. So what happened in the Duluth race as some, some of us in the studio felt that the mayor was beloved, or did she just run a bad campaign? What happened? Well, I think... The mantra, it still holds true, is all politics are local. And that's a theme that runs throughout the state, but certainly in Duluth. And I think, Jordana, that she was liked, Mm -hmm. but being beloved by people in the Twin Cities or thinking people in the Twin Cities are loving her is different than what Duluthians were feeling. Mm -hmm. She lost the primary handily. And I think there was just a mood in Duluth that, you know, we're not we're not doing as well as we should on the issues that matter, like roads, like housing, those kinds of things. And the last thing, this is more of a macro thing. Third terms for mayors or governors or executive positions are hard. We've had very few three term mayors or governors in Minnesota and across the country. And you really have to show that you've done a lot uh, to win that third term. And it was also finally the DFL versus the DFL. And one tapped into the local Duluth spirit. One relied on a more statewide or national progressive theme. And at its core, Duluth is still a blue-collar, uh, working class town 
with a college campus or two, it's not Minneapolis. It's not St. Paul. Um, it's getting younger, but it's not. They've only, their population has grown uh, very little. And so you have a lot of stalwart Duluth natives that voted in this election. Uh, when we look at the Minneapolis City Council, and again, they're doing the rank choice, so they kind of are deliberate in how they count these. But at least uh, from what I'm seeing here, you know, there was the possibility that the council could move further progressive, further left. But at least, other than the Andrea Jenkins uh, race there, where it looks like she might be trailing now, is that what we're seeing? Or I, I see a lot of incumbents, though, doing well here. Incumbents did well, but in open seats and where the left was more organized, they won. I've seen enough to know that this council is shifting left. The tension with the mayor is going to increase. I don't know that they're going to have enough to override his veto, but he's going to have to really make sure that he's really got the votes to hold up any veto now. So in the Lisa Goodman seat that was open, the more progressive candidate, Katie Cashman, beat Scott Graham in that seat. It looks like Andrea Jenkins is in trouble and could lose. The Andrew Johnson seat that was open uh, was won by the more progressive candidate. Um, so overall, um, I would just say both Minneapolis and also St. Paul councils look like they've shifted a little more to the left. This is not like four years ago or six years ago when it was a big shift. It's just more counting votes about executives and where they stand on big issues like police funding, like rent control, um, and and that kind of thing. I'm glad you mentioned that because I'd like you to define that. For those who don't live in Minneapolis, uh, when you say more progressive, are we talking about like DSA, which is the Democratic Socialist Association that I just found out about, you know, a few weeks ago when they came out um, with this statement that was endorsing Hamas? Uh, Are we talking about these candidates? And if so, you know, you mentioned uh, lack of funding for the police or maybe some housing issues. What other issues are these what you're calling progressives standing for? Well, Jordana, I've been talking about DSA for a couple of years, so I would just hope that you would listen when I talk. <laughs> Ouch! But uh, yes, I'm sorry. What did you say? Oh, more, I'm sorry. Who is this? <laughs> more closely DSA aligned members of the council. I, you know, the way I was talking to somebody I've known for 30 years today about kind of this: who is the new left? And there is a fundamental different belief in economic systems and judicial systems and political workings. And I'm not trying to sound professorial on that, but there are belief systems there that are really hard to, to like believe in or grasp if you are a more traditionalist. Even traditional kind of Democrats are like, Wait, what? They don't think that banks, they don't, they don't think private property ownership should happen. They think we should head towards a public system. They're not aware of property tax challenges. They think we, not only can we not, um, we should do more from government. And I think that's, that's the mantra and less from the private sector. Um, and, you know, it's it's a debate. It's a lively debate. It's This is not the only place 
this is happening. It's happening in big cities across the country. Uh, when we look at St. Paul and the passage of the uh, the, the sales tax increase, I'm around, that one surprised surprises me a little bit from the standpoint of the outcry from the businesses over in St. Paul and how they're going to deal with this. What did what did you hear up to this? And I guess now that it is passed, uh, the feeling of those business folks in St. Paul. Um, you know, businesses don't, their voice doesn't have as much currency in the urban centers as it used to. Uh, I remember in 1995, businesses fought uh, a referendum in St. Paul and it was about prices and wages and creating an island and residents responded. Residents are less likely to worry about that. Um, and you look at sales tax referendums across the metro, Edina, St. Paul, Golden Valley, Bloomington, they all passed. And I think there may be an idea that, look, at least that money stays local rather than going to the state and expecting it to back be back or relying on the states or the feds to fund local priorities. And so, look, anybody who's been to St. Paul knows that their roads need help. They have a property tax problem in St. Paul because so much of their land is either government or nonprofit that they don't get the um, they don't get the revenue from those residents, you know, those property owners, the way a Minneapolis does from large industrial commercial office. And so um, I think, you know, common sense in St. Paul is, look, if this is dedicated to roads, that's great. I, don't, I also don't think there was um, serious spend on the opposition. They, they kind of put up a noble fight, but nobody spent millions of dollars to fight the property tax or the sales tax increase in St. Paul. And it, it, it didn't drive discussion. I think turnout is lower. I think people are, you know, these were very local issues. And if you weren't an activist or fired up or an engaged citizen, you just didn't pay attention. Lois, uh, locally and I guess more on a national level, Politico is describing the results as a banner year for Democrats. Now, I don't know if it's a banner year, but does this or will this have an effect on the presidential election in a year? Because we, Adam and I were just talking two days ago about these polls. Uh, again, they're worth what you paid for them, which is nothing. But these polls that have Trump leading in five out of six swing states. So what? What is this? What, what's the truth here? What are the trends? It was a good day for Democrats, but more importantly, and I think the punchline is more for issues that motivate Democrats to get to the polls. So abortion remains a highly motivating issue for Democrats to turn out. If in those states uh, where Democrats are successful, abortion isn't on the ballot either literally or in the majorities of their legislatures, then maybe Democrats don't have as much energy. It's an energizing issue. So as we look ahead to 2024, you know, what are going to be the issues that energize? I uh, put a teaser in the morning take, Jordana. That's a newsletter I put out if you want to read it. Um, yeah, you also, said, sorry, what is you also it? said the Timberwolves were hosting the Timberwolves today. Who, that yeah, I was a little tired at that yeah. point, too, today, Adam. But Who is this? No, I'm sorry. What? Will Democrats... Will Democrats put a constitutional amendment on the ballot in Minnesota related to abortion next year, knowing it energizes their base to turn out? The second part about that, Jordana, is until Republicans give up the idea that 
we are a pro a majority pro life country, state, whatever, they're going to keep losing these elections yep. and their base just is smaller on that issue. And so what are the issues in 2024? We've got a lot of time to figure them out, but the economy I think will probably be number 1 and how, you know, and who the presidential candidates are number 2. And um, let's just say that, uh, you know, we need a lot of yoga breathing and probably a lot of carbs from from challah bread to make through the next year. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you were listening to our show because clearly I'm not paying <laughs> well, enough attention to the sure. morning cake. Yeah. Uh, well, quickly, got about a minute left, but I, I live down there in uh, District 196 where there was one of those yeah. hotly contested school board races where we had the parents groups trying to, uh, you know, elect. And all those, uh, you know, let's say, Minis- parents, Minnesota, I forget the n- name of the group. Parents Alliance. Thank you. Oh. All four of their endorsed candidates lost to the incumbents. So that effort, I, I guess, I haven't looked at the other districts where a lot of money was spent. Is that common or did some of those uh, candidates win? I think the number is they won. The Parents Alliance, the more conservative line groups, won won about eight out of 33 races okay. that they put people up in. Noka Hennepin, they definitely made gains. Again, all politics is local. The candidates matter. Candidate quality matters. Um, and the local issues matter. And I think that that's where uh, they were. I would also say this, is that Education Minnesota and the kind of educational institutional yep. voices spent a lot, a lot of, of money, money. to yep. define those folks. Just want to be clear that that parents alliance is that like Moms for Liberty? They want to not quite choose what books are uh, not quite not them, quite. Jordana. No, it's not no. okay. So they're not. It's that a extreme. different shade. Different shade. Yes. Okay. Got it. Uh, Blois, uh, kind of like thanks. Moms for Liberty Light. Maybe. Ah, yeah. got it. Um, this was fun getting totally ripped, you know, by you. I appreciate that. Join and us I, anytime I, to do that, uh, Blois. <laughs> we welcome. All, welcome well, back. Jordana, if it makes you feel any better, the meeting I was in. Uh, your name came up. Adam Carter's didn't. So they know who you are. Oh and um, they were excited to tell me their connection to you. Oh, good. I can't wait to hear it. Text me off the air, okay? I'll text you who it was. Thanks, Blois. Thanks, Blois. Get See some you guys. sleep. See ya. Blois um, Olson. He's right, though. I should be reading the morning tape yes. more. And I should be right, cover to cover. I should be reading that. Makes you smarter. It comes right into your inbox. And we should all be reading it. It is in my inbox. It's just there's only so but many tonight you would, Today you would have been confused, though, because it says the wolves host the Timberwolves tonight. <laughs> so. Where else tired? can you find out that it's uh, National Jalapeno Popper Day? You know? I mean, oh, yuck. <laughs> I love jalapenos, but that cream cheese, jalapeno poppers. Ugh. I don't. And Get that's, out of here that's not that. a good movie snack, even no. though I think they sell them at the movies, a, or at least they used to. Not a good movie snack. Uh, last night, maybe some popcorn, although I wasn't eating. This last night, our random review, we did the homework. Mm-hmm. It was all the light you cannot see. Uh, there was no eating involved because it was a, a World War II movie. Um, there were Nazis involved, and I don't know. I guess I just don't feel hungry when I watch shows like that. We will have our review of All the Light You Cannot See next. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 
Okay, that was a little confusing, but it is a young girl during World War II in France. She has been, she and her father have been evacuated from Paris when the Nazis came in and took over Paris and they just gave up the streets of Paris. They moved to a, um, a small town, I guess, near the beach, St. Malo, yeah. I believe. And, um, she, her father is missing. Her fa- we don't know where her father is. Her uncle is in hiding. I believe they're part of the resistance. Mm-hmm. And she does a radio broadcast. She reads a book on the radio every night, and she is blind. So I thought to myself, there's a lot happening right there. I, I don't know how I'm ever going to follow because this is a book. I did not read the book. I watched two episodes last night. So did I. It is extraordinary. Gripping from the very beginning terrifying because Nazis are so mean and they cast the most terrifying people to be the Nazis in this show. They are terrifying and just creepy. And it's like, which says to me, if I'm an actor in Hollywood and I keep getting hired, Hey, we have a role of a Nazi. You're the guy I'm questioning (laughs) myself. I'm like, you know what? (laughs) I don't come across as a very likable guy. (laughs) You know, you're not seeing like, so true. <laughs> you know, you're not seeing popular, handsome, uh, very likable characters getting hired Patrick as Patrick Dempsey Nazis. is a Nazi. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're handsome. Some of them are handsome. Sure. But, well, they're um, the Aryan race. They're yeah. supposed to be the perfection of the white race. It's it's uh, there is a lot happening in the first two episodes, and I had to watch the second one because the first one is riveting, of course. Um, it doesn't focus on concentration camps. It, it focuses on the people of. Uh, uh, of Nazi Europe. Occupation. Yes, the occupation that uh, the people they took over um, and how they survived and maybe a little bit more about the resistance. But let me tell you, the acting was amazing. I thought the storyline, I-, I can't wait to go home tonight and watch some mm. more of it. So, and the fact that she is a radio broadcaster just brought it right. all home that they were using radios and there is one of the Nazi uh, soldiers who's listening to her broadcast mm-hmm. and wants to protect her. I don't know if he's going to be able to because I'm only right. two episodes in, but um, I loved everything about it. Not a true story, but I thought it was fantastic, and I gave it. What did what did one of our texters say? Nine, nine out, out of ten, 10 ham, 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 ham radios. radios. Yeah. yeah, and they watched all four. So I'm also going to go with nine out of ten ham radios. Another texter saying watched the whole thing last. Oh, night. okay. Um, what did you think? Again, I read the book. The book mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Okay. Uh, Anthony Doerr wrote the book, so I read the book. The book was incredible. And, and it's not based on any truth, right? It's I don't believe fiction. so. Okay. Uh, and I will, so I watched the first episode, and I, mm-hmm. I think you just kind of have the little letdown from, okay, and then you're trying to remember the book. No. But we watched the second episode, and yeah, it's very, very compelling. And it also, too, reflects on that on current times about when big ideas, when big nationalist movements happen about people who just have, lose their voice in the ability to object to that. And you see people, uh, I think of the, the nun and the, the, where this boy and his sister mm-hmm. are staying. Mm-hmm. And how they have no control over what's happening. And that there was a whole group of people in Germany that mm-hmm. probably didn't want to see this happen. Correct. And that just had no ability to fight it. Correct. And um, that, that's hard to watch, especially, mm-hmm. in a, you know, anybody who says, oh, that could never happen again, I think you are very, very wrong. Yes. Because when 
Not all a, of Europe was complicit. Col- yes. In, in Nazism. And when you have a collective thought process, belief, whether it be in one person or one ideology, it can be a dangerous, dangerous thing. And if we lose the ability to, you know, argue and lose the ability to have disagreements and that we can result in compassionate ways and realistic ways, then um, it can get very problematic very quickly. So there is that to the backdrop of just watching the the film. But yes, the girl is wonderful. Um, so good. Mark Ruffalo plays her father. Mm-hmm. His accent's a little iffy a little bit. but mm-hmm. uh, And uh, Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie uh, plays uncle the uncle, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and even in their brutalness and in their creepiness and in their just being horri- horrific people, the Nazis, the people who play the Nazis, I don't know their names, mm. are also very good. So it is, it is a very good watch. The show we're talking about is All the Light We Cannot See. It's on Netflix. It is uh, like a, a doc. It's not a documentary. I'm sorry. It is like a four-part miniseries. Yeah, I think it's book. four. So yeah, it's based like a, a movie, book. but it's split up into four. Correct. So limited it's long. series. Yeah, a limited series. There you go. All the light we cannot see. Um, but also, what was frightening for me is to see the similarities that we're experiencing today. I mean, the Nazi the Nazi propaganda machine was powerful, yep. and it was uh, very rarely challenged. People just accepted it, even if they didn't like it. You know, there were people, obviously, like I said, not everybody was complicit in, in Nazi right. Germany and Nazi Europe. They were taking over. Um, uh, people resisted, but they were never free to speak out. No. They were never free to say out loud. And they had to end sentences with Heil, Heil you know, Hitler, to the yeah. Fuhrer. I mean, the, the, the watching that and – I don't know how much of it's true, but I'm guessing it was pretty accurate yep. that uh, boys were forced to go to military academies to be part of uh, the, the Nazi regime. Uh, people didn't have choices. People didn't have freedom. And also, you know, there were Nazis walking the streets that could murder people at any time, even, you know, innocent French people yep. that weren't Jewish, Correct. that just didn't do what they wanted to do. And uh, the idea of that, and of course, God willing, that will never happen anywhere again, but the fact that that existed and existed so easily just 75 years ago is really troubling. Yeah. It's not like it was ancient history. Uh, it's not ancient history. There are still survivors. Uh, again, it's all the light we cannot see. It's on Netflix, a uh, limited series. Uh, absolutely uh, worth watching. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.